Hey, it's Dan here. If you want to hear this episode of the Backchat Podcast without ads and get extra content that no one else gets, head to backchatstudios.com.au where you can sign up as a patron and access all of our bloody good merch. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. say this this man has been right at the top of the list of backshots for mm. for a long time um it's been a long chase a, a long, long list as well. yeah it is a long <laughs> list and pav's been right at the top matthew pavlis joins us welcome pav welcome to backchat I'm finally here, Scott. It's yes. been a while. Yes. It's good. I haven't dodged you, by the way. I might have tried to dodge you back in the field back in the day, but I haven't tried to dodge you on the podcast. Don't take it personally. Yeah, right? well, dodging equates to you kicking goals. We'll get to that a little <laughs> bit later on. Um, uh, a very big thank you to our supporters and, and our sponsors, Whippersnapper, Margaret River Roasting, Blue Bet Shelter, and, of course, Leadable Cameras. Sign up to Patreon. Find everything you need at backchatpodcast.com.au. Now, Pav, the first question we ask every guest, it's mm. the same, and – it actually has to do with the trophy you were just oh, looking really? at. Oh, really? Okay. So we ask our, our, our guests, we want to know your greatest sporting achievement, but we know you've done a lot of good things on the football field. Yeah. Multiple best and fairest winner, multiple Australian winner, um, captain of a football club. Like, it's great. It's pretty good. It's, it's, it's good, but we're here to tell you, first up anyway, we'd like to know what else you can do. What's your greatest sporting achievement not on the football field? Now, Dan, oh, of it's, course. It's no five for 16 in the <laughs> under 12. Could have guessed that. T8, what does TH double C stand for? Oh, Chute Hill Cricket Club. Of course it yeah. is. I mean, yeah. yeah the Lions. For itself. <laughs> the Lions? Yeah. How, what were the Lions like in the under Premier 12s? club. Premier yeah. club, yeah. We yeah, showed, I mean, we made a grand final. We showed Justin Langer. We had JL on the pod a couple of weeks ago and um, – he wasn't too impressed. He said he would have absolutely he smacked me around the park. What 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 other sporting realm? Uh, okay, well, I'm going to go the under twelves. Good, only yep. because it's the same yep. age. Um, state champion athletic carnival. Now, when I say state, like state's a loose word. It might have been like our <laughs> region. Yeah, our, our region <laughs> in the western suburbs of South Australia or Adelaide. Um, but I won the champion boy at an athletics carnival. You know, when I was in year seven or whatever it was. So. I think I've got this photo at home, you know, red face, you know, sunburnt uh, in my school kit with the, the medallion around my neck. But I only – I sort of had one first, which was from the long jump, and then I had like all these seconds. So it was like <laughs> second in the 100, second in the 400. So they're very so consistent. consistent. Yeah. <laughs> got there on points. Yeah. So I must have got there somehow on points uh, yeah. rather than a uh, number of blue ribbons. But, yeah, that's, that's my crowning uh, glory that's, athletically. That's working smarter, not harder. 
That's spot on. I was under eight uh, 80 meter hurdle state champion. Hurdles? Yes, hurdles. Wow. You were be... quite a good runner, though. That was your thing, like, yeah. as in coming through? Well, yeah, was I was always... an athlete. Athlete, yeah. I was an athlete. I was that one of those guys who was the athlete, draft the athlete, teach him to play footy later. <laughs> That's why I turned into a scragging fullback. <laughs> now, uh, I want to get into you, though, Pav. You're South Australian. Um, uh, Mum, uh, Jan, Dad, mm-hmm. Steve. Dad, Steve uh, played a fair bit of Sandful footy, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of footy. So you grew up uh, around football. I certainly did, yeah. Um, so Dad... Uh, played, you know, for a long, long time in the SNFL, coached um, in the SNFL, the reserves team, the assistant coach. Um, and I'll get to that about my kind of growing up around a footy club because it, it certainly felt that way. His two brothers, um, Mark and Greg, also played with West Torrens in the SNFL. So, um, I, I mean, I was the eldest of our family. So footy was always there. It was always kind of this thing. But Never ever did I feel pressured. Um, never ever. I mean, I was sort of encouraged to get out and have fun, cricket, sport, you know, anything, anything, uh, and everything I was into growing up. But um, footy was always present. Um, and I remember going, you know, when Dad was assistant coach and and then coaching um, as well. It was always I'd I'd go to all the training sessions. I'd sit on the massage benches and you know get the smells and hear the sounds and the language that often gets <laughs> yeah. talked about in a footy club. Uh, and then I'd go and sit on the bench when Dad was coaching some of the reserves games and got this great, these amazing memories of hearing the big slaps and the sounds and as a little kid, it's like, wow, this is pretty intense. And so that was always kind of kind of with me. So, yeah, it was always there, certainly never um, pressured, but um, a great experience of, of learning what the game, not necessarily, you know, tactics, but just the fabric of the game, being in, in you know, club rooms and change rooms for a long period of time, even when I was quite young. Was your dad's um, time in the game at Sample ever father-son related? Like, was there ever a chance no. to go to an Adelaide oh, or a Port Adelaide? But that's a really good question. Um, I was kind of no, I was, I was I trying to search, but yeah, I don't think so. I, so, dad, dad was injured a lot. So he had mum and dad had this pretty significant car accident when uh, he was sort of in his prime. Yeah, unfortunately, mum went through the windscreen and was Shit. sort of kind of lucky wow. to survive. He smashed his leg and ankle, and it basically sent him back two years. And then he, you know, did his knee and shoulder. He was basically injury prone. But he, he eked out um, sort of 130-odd games. Um, so I think that limited him for um, – it was, what, 150, I think? So, yes. no, never a chance. But, I mean, as a 16-year-old, I'd played in the under-18 uh, under carnival. I had a reasonable carnival in – that was year 11 and was hoping as a 16-year-old – um, to be you know, picked up by one of the Adelaide clubs. Because uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Because in that draft year, they, they had one pick each of a 17-year-old they yeah. could select and they didn't take you. No, so I we, took it personally. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? Well, I mean... I'd absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, so I still remember draft day sitting at home. I used to be on Channel 7 back in the day. Um, this is in the late 90s. So this is Black 1990. white TV. <laughs> yeah, 1998. Um, and so sitting at home watching this and, you know, I knew um, I was never going to be taken in the top. Um, 20 or 30 or whatever it may have been um, but heard a lot of guys that I played with so Nick Fosdyke went to the, um, the Swans earlier that year Ryan Fitzgerald Fitzy went to the Swans also uh, James Begley went to St Kilda like yeah, a lot of guys that I played in the SNFL state team went um, in the top sort of 20 or 30 and then Port Adelaide had a pick in about the 30s and took a guy called Adam Morgan from Victoria as their 17-year-old, and I thought, oh, I've only got one crack at this left and kept hanging in there, hanging in there until about pick 70 or 80 and the Crows took a guy called Ken McGregor, who was a teammate of mine, Kenny, uh, at, at Woodville West Torrens at the Eagles. And um, and I, I, I loved Kenny. He was one of my 
like good mates that I played with. But forever after that period, Kenny sort of became this like much love hated figure at the coast. Defender, defender played a bit forward. Yeah, um, played 150 games. Yeah. So you know, a good pick if you're looking at someone taken in the in the 70s or 80s as a 17 year old, a bit of a punt. Um, but poor Kenny, I think, always copped it because um, you know, as it turned out, I went you know early the next year to Fremantle and. Sort of you know, history um, goes 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 by, but um, he was sort of always the whipping boy because you know they didn't pick up this other uh, fat kid that used to play. <laughs> you, well, you know how you can tell Pav has remembered and hasn't let go. He knows the names, names. he knows the draft picks. How many, he knows how many games did Adam Morgan play? Do you remember? <laughs> uh, zero, I think. But I don't. I think it was three. I think it was three. So I've got a quote to read you. I don't know okay. if you know who it's from. Oh, sorry. This one you will know who it's from. Um, uh, a, a couple of things. I, just having a research, I just had a, a good chuckle. It sounded like something my mum would do. So um, they miss you as a 17-year-old. Yep. The draft comes around. You do get picked up by Fremantle eventually. But before that, your mum was pretty keen to keep you in <laughs> South Australia. And Jan, um, with the Fremantle recruiting staff rocking up, had a list of basically better people to draft yeah. Um, yeah. than Matty Pavlich. I, mean, it was, I was horrified in this meeting. So we're sitting around, you know, sort of similar type of setup at home in, in Kidman Park in South Australia, sitting on mum and dad's orange, like velvet kind of couch <laughs> yes. back in the late 90s. I yes. can't believe what they were thinking of that thing. But <laughs> we're be sitting cool there. It'd be cool now. It, well, we're going to be back in fashion yeah. 100%. <laughs> Um, and so we're sitting around, there's, you know, um, Jared McNeil and Neil McLean, Brent Dawkins, Phil Smart, basically the recruiting and um, team of, of Frio. And it's, you know, having a chat about asking me questions, asking mum and dad questions. There's all, you know, that, that kind of happens when you're getting interviewed for a, a job, really. Um, and instead of mum sort of answering the question, she um, went back with them saying, oh, what, why aren't you looking at um, Darren Glass? Or why aren't you looking at so-and-so from Perth Footy Club? Or why aren't you looking at – she'd done her research and saying, don't take my son out of Adelaide. Um, you know, stick with some local talent. Um, unfortunately for her, and not only did I get drafted, but here I am 20-odd years later yes, still in still Perth. So. Correct. I, I, if she's anything like mum, I'm sure she's extremely proud and happy you've made a good she life has, of yourself yeah. over here. So um, I had a look at that draft. Jeez, it was a bloody good draft. Josh mm. Fraser was in there. Lee Brown, of course, went with you with, with Hazelby. So Hazelby picked two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you picked four. Lee Brown picked five. So Freo was stacked at the top of this draft. But you mentioned Darren Glass, Luke McFarlane, who yep. gets drafted to Hawthorne, comes back to Freo. Um, Brad Green. Uh, Paul Chapman, Adam Hunter, Jonathan Brown. Um, it's a, I think I remember Geelong and G&T the Bulldogs. Hughes. Yeah, Geelong and the Bulldogs absolutely nailed that draft. So Joel Corey, Joel, Corey Enright. Yeah, Corey, uh, Corey Enright, Ling Chapman, and they had it. They even had someone earlier, like a, a Foster, who was a SA kid who didn't necessarily, but they just they got that draft right. And the Bulldogs had Ryan Hargrave, Mitch Hahn off the top of my head. Bob Murphy went. Yep. Um, and I think you said Gia. So, you know, when you sort of remember playing against these guys growing up and they all kind of get drafted at the same time and you watch their career, they, they absolutely nailed the draft. Um, so, yeah, a really, a really impressive draft year. Um, but my first, uh, my first period coming into the AFL wasn't, wasn't great. Well, correct. So I, I want to read <laughs> – well, I mean, you, you, you finish your career as the greatest ever Freo docker, but this is a quote from you before the draft. If I was to be drafted by Fremantle, it would be my worst nightmare come true. <laughs> we so were trying so to get drafted. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, how did Freo pick you up? Yeah. Mum's getting you away. Your worst they, nightmare come true. They called my bluff. 
<laughs> they did. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, look, it was my worst because I, I didn't – probably like you, Scott, you, yeah. you know, you're on the other side of the country. Uh, you don't know anyone in Western Australia at all and um, there's trepidation and, and a lot of anxiety about packing your bags as a 17-year-old and heading across the other side of the country. And it gets worse for me because day one uh, wasn't, wasn't much fun. So, so tell me about it. Yeah, so, That's next on my list. Well, let, let's let's build a little bit of context. So <laughs> we get drafted. Yeah, you know, the drafts in um, uh, you know mid late November. Um, my schoolies week for year twelve and all that was was always coinciding at the go? same time. So Victor Harbour yep. in South Australia is the place to go, as it is. You know, it, there's always locations. Rottnest or down south, I think is yeah, WA. That's a thing. Byron Bay is Byron Bay is a thing. Gold Coast used to be a thing. I'm not yeah. sure if, Too <laughs> if <often>. it's a leg. <laughs> anyway, Victor Harbour was our thing, and you know, I was just there with a bunch of mates who were camping and you know having a great time. Probably just on the waters, getting ready just to play. Just on the waters, yep. on the you know lettuce and carrot, and making sure that uh, <laughs> 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 elite condition. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, you know, the following weekend, pack my bags and we're heading to heading to Perth. I landed on Sunday night. You know, get picked up by the host family. Um, have this you know nervous night's sleep because you you got your first training session the next day. And anyone listening or in the room, take yourself back to the first proper job you've ever had. And like, what were you thinking that that day? What did you? How did you want to impress? How did you want to set yourself up? What were you thinking? And for me at that time, because I had this great history of um, football in, in in my blood, effectively, and this is my dream. You know, running around the backyard of of my house in Adelaide was I wanted to be in the AFL. Here I was about to live that dream, so I just wanted to impress like so much every. Um, ball I went for and every cone ran a million miles to the end and by the time of the we'd finished this um, skill session which was about 90 minutes of ball work I was just gassed like I, I'd absolutely cooked myself had had nothing left and it was one of those Perth mornings you know it sort of it gets like to 35 before 8am yes. <laughs> sea breeze finally comes in and cools it it was one of those sort of hot mornings so I'm gassed I'm absolutely cooked I've got nothing left and the running coach Training's over and you're Training's mind. done. I'm yeah. like, this is great. We're, I'm, you know, get the power aids out, boys. <laughs> Time to put the feet up. <laughs> the running coach comes over and says, all right, off to the starting line. We've got six one Ks. And I'm like, oh, jeez, oh. this, is, this is nasty. Six. Um, running with a bunch of like key position players, sort of our size. And I get around the first four, okay, I'm sort of hanging on to, to the group. I'm running okay. The fifth one, I start to drop off the back. And, you know, I'm sort of really battling off the back. But, you know, finish the fifth one. Cross the line. And we've all been there where you start seeing stars and you're a bit wobbly and I have this big spew <laughs> on the side. I'm like just – I'm trying to gather myself. Like, come on, this is your first session. You can't cook this. And the running coach came over and said, oh, have you got one more in you? And I was like, wipe and spew off. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I'm fine. I've got, I've got one more in me. Get to the start line and, you know, I'm just – I'm limping. I'm, I cannot finish this lap and – um, I basically get two-thirds away around Aquinas Oval where we were training. And I had this overwhelming feeling as if I was running closer and closer to the ground. <laughs> Teammates who now love to re relive and retell the story say it was like I was going down an escalator and <laughs> <laughs> collapsed and passed out. And the next passed thing I, out? Just collapsed and passed out. The oh. next thing I remember is um, waking up in Murdoch Hospital Wow. Like with drips and like all that on me. I'd obviously just completely pushed myself too far, um, dehydrated. And, and I, was, I, was, I was like, what, 
how have I ended up here? I sort of didn't realise that, you know, the, the doc and the physio came running out, threw us in the back of the property van, sped me down the Coronado Freeway to Murdoch Hospital. and you were dead. To, yeah, well, they, we've killed our draft. <laughs> What's going on? Um, so, look, it was not the, the – I don't recommend that to people aspiring to, to play in the AFL. I, I was – upon reflection or even at the time, I was just so embarrassed. Like I was like, this is, this is terrible. Like what have I done day one? You know, I can't even finish the session. And, you know, now other guys tell the story in a positive light that, oh, you know, you push yourself. Freo would have loved it. Yeah, but you, at the time as the guy falling over, <laughs> it's not a good look. <laughs> anyway. So then so then after that you had some car trouble days I following? I did. I did, yeah. So this is so embarrassing. So <laughs> finally get back to training. Like they, they basically said, you know what, take a rest over the, the next couple of days. We'll just build you up slowly. And then on the, the Thursday, we'd, we'd gone down to Port Beach um, for a recovery session, you know, a bit of a swim. And on the way back, we were driving back across the old traffic bridge back into the club. There was going to be a meeting and some weights or whatever. And I was at the back of this, of sort of the convoy, early morning traffic, and guys were zipping in and out, so having a bit of fun. And I went down to change the channel on the radio and sort of took my eye off the road for the moment. And then Troy Cook, who was in front of me, his car felt like it was a, I was about to sit in his back tray. I just went straight up the back oh. of Cookie, smashed hard my hard man Cookie yeah, as well. Yeah, his car was hard as well. <laughs> Smash, he, 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 I think he still got the Ute, and I think the dent was still is still there because I said to him, "Mate, I'll, I'll fix it." I'm just like, "Don't worry about it. Don't worry." About it. I was like, 20 years he's later, still got the he's still got the dent. I still haven't got my 1985 Subaru Leone. <laughs> Leone. Uh, <laughs> Crashed into the back of uh, of Cookie's Ute, but so I've passed out day one, crashed my car into a teammate's car day two. Um, yeah, not the ideal way to start an AFL career. Do you debut that that year, your first year? Yeah, yeah, I do. It takes a while. I um, uh, so Paul Hazelby and Brownie Lee Brown play in round one against Geelong, um, and I I don't. I I mean I, I probably, and this is my view on. On the AFL draft day, I still think the draft day should be lifted and I think there's um, things with the whole system about the pathway that, that can be changed and I think now's a really good time that um, the AFL can do it. They've signed $4.5 billion media rights deal and they can really start to plan for the future. That's a side That's a side point, but I wasn't really ready to play. We are a young um, and up-and-coming team, so we all got opportunities early, including, as I said, Hayes and Brownie uh, early in that year. Justin Longmuir was was there at the same time. He'd only been there for 12 months and played, I think, one or two games. So he was playing and sort of almost leading our ruck mm. um, at, at a really young age. Um, so I played round round four at the Wacker um, in my debut game um, under lights um, in round – sorry, round five and uh, got to live out a boyhood dream run out in my first AFL game. And the, chi- the childhood uh, hero and idol of mine, Tony Modra, Who'd been Godra? You know, Godra, who I used to you know, adore going to Footy Park and watch him take hangers and kick bags at thirteen and fourteen. There I was standing alongside Mods in the Ford Pocket in my first AFL game. It was um, a pretty cool experience. Oh, anyone I know from South Australia, Sam Butler, being he's been a big part of this podcast, yeah. refers to him as Godra. <laughs> and the fact that you played with, I would say, Butsy would be extremely jealous that you got to step on a field with Mods. Tony Modra. Yeah, I and you know when you play in that era was. Um, you know, it was still kind of that semi-professional, really. It was full-time, but it was just yes, guys were still working. But Mods, 
when he footy trained and when he let out from full forward and took the ball out like this and went through his routine, it was the most professional. It was a really, it was a shining light of like what oh, training at a really high intensity looks like. Right. He hated running. He hated weights. He hated like all the ancillary stuff that <laughs> you have to do as a professional footballer. But like his skill set of pushing off, running a million miles an hour, clunking it out there and going back and kicking the goal or recovering and, you know, snapping goals elite sort of training and preparation. Really? Um, so it was great to see firsthand, you know, literally right next to him. Did, did he used to practice hangers or was that just naturally? No, he, yeah, absolutely. He he'd get the bag hangers. out and take hangers and he'd, he'd, you know, roll the ball out in front and kick snapshots. You know, he used to soccer yeah. the goals off the ground all the time. Yeah. He'd, he'd do all that at training. Right. Um, he, as I said though, he didn't like recovery, didn't like restretching, he didn't like, you know, <laughs> any type of stuff that – you do as a professional guy, but on the field, put a ball out there and, you know, put some goals. He was elite trainer. We've had a lot of members on this podcast, guests on this podcast in the footy realm. Now, of course, we stepped outside of that now, but um, first kick, first goal. Um, and you're a member of that club. Yeah. But you're a member of the second the kick, second goal. <laughs> you, you, you yeah. kick, your first two kicks were goals. Yep. Yeah, so uh, Alistair Nicholson, um, he was playing on us that night and um, he's now the – is he the cricketers or he might be the coaches association yep. CEO who I think is at the cricket there for a while. So yeah, sort of within the first 50 seconds or not even that, the first 20 seconds ball kind of went out. Brendan Fuster um, kicked it on his left and it just landed on my chest, like kind of this floater and kicked a goal. And then yeah, a few minutes later kicked the second. So um, yeah, started nicely. And then, so I had the compliment not long into that first quarter with David Neitz, um, legend kind of of the game, full forward, pot played a bit back. They swapped him and David Neitz started playing on me. <laughs> I didn't touch it after that. <laughs> <laughs> I did not go near it. So it was a, it was a good lesson of, uh, you know, it's not all beer and Skittles in the AFL. So we had a quick look at Sir Swamp Thing. He always got some good stats. He, he tweeted out um, – so this is players kicking goal in the opening minute of their debut. So you're in this list, obviously. 36 seconds for Mitch Brown. Crazy. 46 wow. seconds, Stephen Hill. 51 seconds, Scott Lysette, who was on the podcast just recently. And then 52 seconds, Matthew Pavlich. And then you, uh, 59 seconds, Chris Dawes. So you're, you're in a pretty elite list of people there. Um, and then for that second goal, I don't think – we definitely have had uh, – Two from two. Two from two. Well, I don't How know. How many people are on that? I mean, it sounded like you started well as a forward. But uh, like I did want to start pretty early on this podcast – you might you may actually be a backman, Pat. I mean, you were all Australian as a backman. Do you make that switch? Like, did you start as a forward and they thought oh, it's not working? Like, how did you go? How did you get back? Yeah. Well, I mean, in the year I was talking about, where I was hoping to get drafted as a six as the seventeen year old, I played um, in the state team as a centre half back, and in the under nineteen premiership that year at Woodworth Thrones uh, as as a centre half back. So. Most of my football probably growing up was forward or mid um, as kind of, I guess, the more kind of talented kids that come through tend to play. But um, I had had opportunity to, to go down back in a couple of those years and I think there was always that versatility, which, you know, um, coaches these days absolutely love because of the rotation system of like how it all works out. Um, yes, you've got your core forwards and backs, but sort of everyone who's a hybrid kind of player can play wing, half forward, half back, inside, um, outside. So I think it was always a great strength of mine, a good sort of thing to have in your toolkit to, to be able to play that. But um, yeah, I mean, quite early on, I got, I got shifted back um, 
probably because as an 18 year old you're still learning your way as a key forward so I got shifted back and found my way back there 2002 when Chris Connolly came I basically played and a half back fullback that year. Yes, and you're all Australian, fullback all Australian that year. Yeah, which came. I mean, I'm, I was 20 or whatever it was, and felt um, felt really early and and whatever. But um, it was a, a nice surprise. You won your first Doig medal, the first best and fairest that year. But before that, end of your second year, you asked for a trade. Yeah, you, you rang the club and said, if there's an opportunity to trade me, can you do it? Is that right? That's right. Yeah, which was a pretty daunting conversation to have as a 19 year old with the CEO of the footy club who yeah. only just landed. Like the club was in. Club is in dire straits, um, you know, about to lose um, a ton of money um, off the field. On the field, we'd won two games that year. Um, you know, new coach, uh, you know, sat the coach halfway through 2001, Damien Drum. And it was just a really – and I was homesick. Um, so you add all those things together. I'd come home for the off-season um, and Port Adelaide, um, I went around to Rob Snowden's house uh, along with Mark Williams and Phil Walsh and – a couple of the players and had a coffee with those guys, started talking broadly about footy and and what how they saw football and then how they saw me fitting into Port Adelaide and um, came home from that thinking, yeah, I'd love to explore an opportunity. So sort of rang Cameron Schwab and said, um, look, I know I'm still – I've got a, a year in contract. And at that point, getting out of your contract um, sort of happens all the time now. But It was harder? Much yeah. harder, yeah. And so I said, look, if somehow you can find a trade, then I'm up for that. But I understand I'm still in contract. Um, and I didn't want my manager to make – I just re- still remember wanting to make that that call myself and her just having the chat. Um, I don't know how Cameron really reflects on, on the conversation. Why did you want it? I, I think because I felt like I'd invested already a lot of myself and my energy and, and whatnot in trying to ingratiate myself at the club um, and with their supporter base and everything else that I, I wanted to make that personal – phone call and say, you know what, I'm I'm interested in leaving. Um, I want to tell you personally. It sounds like there's a lot of similarities between Jason Horn Francis and yourself. Like well, in that regard? Well I mean yeah. he's, he's contracted still last year, South Australian boy, yeah. got home sick, club not going very well, new coach. Yeah. Like No, that's a really good point. I hadn't necessarily um thought about that when he with with him going through that this year, but now you highlight all those things, it, it definitely adds up. It it's just now twenty odd years later, it's a bit easier to, to get yeah. out of a contract. Well, than it was well, that, well that's it. That's what sort of I was thinking. It's like now, it's somewhat expected or accepted, but I don't even know if that would have been in the media back when it happened that you'd ask for a trade. No, no, it was very. And this is the other thing. Yeah, um, clubs back then were probably better at kind of. No, there's no quarantining trade. or hiding these yeah. things. No and trade radio to be. There's no trade radio. <laughs> there was no these podcasts. Um, yeah, no, I think, yeah, uh, I, I think probably um, it didn't get out. So, therefore, it didn't really get, get out. And, but I still remember Cameron, like, so I said to Shrubby Young, I want to leave. He's like, well, Matthew, we're not going to trade you. Yes. So, I sort of felt as though that was pretty much a done deal just there. Right, so that phone call, you didn't think it was going to happen and it did, never really came well, close? I, I think I think they, Port Adelaide tried it on in the um, trade period, um, but I think they also thought, well, you know what, we'll get him at the end of next year, so we won't go all in then. Yeah. Right. And, but 12 months later. You won the best and fairest, all Australian. Yeah. Felt more comfortable And we invested. won, you know, eight or nine, maybe ten games. We were building, you know, you could kind of feel that young group together. The next year we play finals, so. Had your, had your mindset shifted? like Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you could see the trend we were on. Um, I By that stage, another 12 months on with that group and just being here in Perth, I was at uni and meeting other people here in Western Australia. So um, 
yeah, you just I think uh, and you're so immature when you're 19. Mm. I know 12 months later you're still immature, but you know um, another it's amazing what 12 months of responsibility within a team and also. Um, uh, just you know, ingratiating yourself further in WA. So I mean, that period of, of your career, two thousand two, you're all Australian as fullback. Two thousand three, you're all Australian as a half forward flank. Two thousand five, you're centre half forward, all Australian. Two thousand six, you're on the pine. I think <laughs> I think potentially as a midfielder in one of those. No, nah, I played. Oh, I guess like oh three was I sort of played midfield and half forward. So you're like that rotating fifth mid. Yeah. Two thousand seven, <clears throat> you're full forward, all Australian, and two thousand eight, you're back on the pine. I mean. To do that in the space of six years, seven years, it's pretty inc- – it's incredible. No, no one's ever done that across those positions. Like the versatility as a player is incredible. Yeah, and I guess that's what I was saying, like the ability to um, change it up in the game um, on your opponent. So you could have a, a fullback sitting on you who's doing a really good job and is sort of negating you, but to take them to a stoppage or to take them into a vulnerable position that they don't really expose themselves to um, and not hopefully at the detriment of the team structure because that that's really important, but – um, yeah, it's certainly um, having that versatility to play in different positions and change things up on the run was was important. So, um, but I guess ultimately in that period, you know, we so 03 made the finals, um, played the first ever final for free at, at Serbia, got smashed by by Essendon, um, and then 06 was a great run of I think uh, yeah, so was it eight or nine wins, nine or ten wins in a row. Unfortunately, go down the semi at uh, the prelim to. Um, and it would have been amazing, uh, a derby grand final similar to 2015. Yeah. Um, both teams, you know, right up there in the thick of it uh, at the right end of the season. Do you um, <clears throat> do you look back at your time playing as a backman, think that you learnt things that helped you as a forward? 100%, yeah, yeah. I mean, you... You never seem to you never seem to have the personality of a backman. You seem far too composed. <laughs> what do you mean? What, Back, backmen are grumpy. They like, shoot from the hip a bit. You you were just very calm, collected. <laughs> played your role nicely. You just mate. You went, um, you, went running, you went running your mouth off out in the field like backmen do. Well, small forwards are yeah, like true. like like key backmen yes. perhaps. Yeah, or, correct. Um, uh, yeah. I guess personality wise, I'm not sure what I was, but. Um, Look, it definitely helped my game playing back. Yeah. Because you play – in that period I played on Matthew Lloyd, Matthew Richardson, uh, Alistair Lynch, Jonathan Brown, uh, Warren Treadray, like some pretty decent players. Yeah. So you, you get an understanding. I got taught lots of lessons in that. Like, you know, I remember getting – standing on the full forward line with the whole 50. There was no flooding, no zoning, no kind of rollback sort of plus ones. It was – Literally, Lloydie and I with 60 metres of space. <laughs> <laughs> so I got taught all these lessons about body positioning and, and um, you know, kicked a bag on me. Warren Treadray one night torched me. You know, you, you, get, you get taught and handed lessons in the AFL. And if you, one way of looking at it is I'm no good and you have those moments. We all have them. The other, the other way of looking at it is, well, what can I learn from this situation and how can you get better? And um, once you get past the sulking, if you can look at the, the, the tape and, and think about almost viscerally what you learn, okay, he had me there and that's what happened, he pulled me this way. And you can, you can use that in other areas of the game. And, and I think when I went back forward and probably played you know, the majority of the back half of my career as a forward, it certainly helped. You were just talking about some of the you know big matchups, big names. Uh, what about matching up on SCOE? Um, any <laughs> lessons learnt from that? <laughs> um, any lessons like well I'm going to play on Scully actually it's a podcast so, right? start with compliment what's yeah. the, the, meat the sandwich the sandwich yeah, yeah. yeah. tea off yeah. <laughs> um, no no, no. Um, I, <laughs> double, early in, double patty I please. can't remember 
it was early in your career, I think, I was sort of playing that hybrid kind of role. And Scoey sort of ran with me all day and didn't really worry, worry about the ball and was basically just focused on stopping me. And because he's a good athlete and because he was a good team man, he basically played his role really well. And then there was a couple of times later in the career that, um, you know, yourself and um, Eric and uh, who or Glassy, between the three of them, um, I, I, I probably felt as I had some good days against the boys and then probably had some bad ones as well. I mean, when you were telling your story about standing one-on-one with Matty Lloyd, I mean, I'm just thinking I'm standing one-on-one with Matty Pavlich <laughs> in the goal square, one, one derby, he kicked eight. Uh, not all on me, I guarantee not all on me, but you certainly kicked eight goals. You, I think you outscored us as a team. 2012? Yeah. yeah. He did yeah, that twice in three weeks. Did it against GWS as well. Okay. Well, that, yeah, I, I can do it. So I'm, you're on. So at least you're on, unless you're in form when I pop back. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that was, you know, it was one of those days where the ball kind of bounces the right way and, you know, we'd started well. and But, yeah, um, it was always nice uh, beating West Coast. and Was that was a, was a rivalry real? Like yeah. We've had, we've had you know, Mickey Barlow, Hayden Ballantyne on. To, it was real. Yeah, it definitely was real. I, I think there was... I mean, I played across 17 years, so, like, um, there was probably different kind of – it ebbed and flowed, I think, in terms of my second der- ever derby was the Demolition Derby. Was that when they were wearing that jumper there? Yep. <clears throat> yeah, so, yeah, you know, Gardy – imagine Michael Gardner in that. Yeah, Gardy comes out throwing haymakers at me. Um, can you remember that? Can you tell us? Like, you well, were, so – You were Ga- young, right? Yeah, I was 18. Um, and and Gardy had been out with a shot – I mean, both teams at that year had um, – had a really poor season, the you know, bottom, bottom sort of half of the ladder. And um, Gardy had been out with a shoulder injury and he had this big, you know, he could hardly kind of move it. He was sort of strapped to to, to all, all sorts. And I went down, I was playing full back and he was playing full forward and I went down and bumped his shoulder. It was like, you know, he's been out, let's just test, see what's <laughs> going on. And then he just started throwing punches. <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. And I just couldn't get anywhere near him because he's got such a long reach and, and plus I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and then I remember slipping over, which I think kind of helped me because by that stage there was a free kick given away and there was another spot fire. And then like just I, I still remember like visibly seeing – the, the one that happened early in that first quarter where Dale started going berserk and there was just this all-in and I remember standing at like full forward going, what do we do here? What happens? <laughs> and sort of just running. What's the rules? But like, yeah, there were no rules. There was just like – and then it was crazy that game. And, then, you know, we win by a point. I actually got yeah. knocked out later in the game for a different reason. Um, Ash McIntosh ran through me um, kind of – it was just – it was no rules that game. Um, so – that was that was intense. I landed in an intense like we hate them. Yeah. We need to beat them kind of thing. And then it, I think it it probably mellowed slightly for a little period, and then it heated up again. When did you arrive at the club? 06? 07. 07, 06, yeah. 07, end of 06. So when the Carr brothers. Yep. You know, there's that sort of derby. Yeah. Um, Shawnee Mack spoke about that on yep. the podcast. Basically, he was captain. I think co-captain, and he talked about a meeting before that game where they basically we're just going to fight them. Yeah, well, it was, it was about – it was like, okay, there's a fair bit of noise going around. It Like we're just going to go verbally and physically at every opportunity here. Yes. So at that point in time, obviously pretty well known what was going on, but it was just like, you know what, it's time to kind of – so, yeah, it kind of went through these. And then I don't really think – I can't really – like from 2010 onwards until when I retired, there was maybe a few moments, but it was more just we wanted to beat each other. It wasn't necessarily – well, what was your view? I Well, yeah, no, it was real. It was real. Like I remember playing my first derby and it was and it was such a step above 
in 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 intensity. Like it was as close to a final as you would get yeah. in a regular season. Well, would you agree with that? Hundred percent. I remember like my first one. I remember sort of like you and with Guardy, but I was coming off the top of the. I was sort of a high half back and just running into the first contest, and there was just bodies just. Like men smack, and I was like, yeah. "What is going on?" Like yeah. same thing. I was like, "I don't know." You, you were saying that at a fight. I was looking at the football game. Like, <laughs> what is going on? I remember one. You and I just—I hadn't written it down, but um, I was at one stage of my career. I was allowed to kick out. They—they they, they yeah. I was the designated kicker. Not sure what Extra I was thinking. Yeah, probably potentially when we won the wooden spoon in 2010 somewhere there. <laughs> um, and and I I missed one. It was early in a derby. <clears throat> Kicked it straight down um, a Freo player's throat behind. All right, here's your chance to redeem yourself. Hit another player, hit another oh. Frio player straight up, behind, missed the second set oh. shot. Brad Shepard, an 18 year old, comes up. He goes, Scully, give me. I'm like, get the fuck away from <laughs> me right now. I get it. I kick it as far as I can. It's a turnover straight over my head. Goal. Go. So three in a row. And I was playing on you that day. And I just, it's probably similar to my, I just thought, well, if I can't, if I can't hit targets, if I can't, I'm just going to fight. So I just grabbed Pav <laughs> and just started fighting Pav. <laughs> Eric McKenzie's come over to save me because Pav's a bigger man than me. He thought, yeah. easy takes over with Pav. Easy I can't got, remember this. Eric got, uh, he either got suspended or a fine. He, um, Michael Johnson came in, he, he punched someone. Punched someone. Oh, he was bleeding. Yeah. You and I, you were probably trying Best to get thing. out. Of it. I was. I started it and then I just ran <laughs> off. So, so that's probably as close, but that wasn't a hatred. It was. It was <laughs> just a, more turning the ball over. Yeah, <laughs> it was. You know. No, but I, yeah, and the, the, walking around the street as well. Like you, you were. It was almost you couldn't quarantine yourself from you know oh, smash them this week or oh, you know go the Eagles or whatever it may have been. Like it was hard mm. to kind of escape that intensity just because you're walking around, you're getting your coffee or you you know you're going to the supermarket. So you kind of had the internal chat of we want to smash them physically and on the scoreboard and then you had the external like heat of it um and then yeah if you turn if, if you make a few mistakes it's a good way of distracting yourself from uh, the mistakes yes, by starting correct, to play. correct and then get out of it don't get fined <laughs> yeah, and then you're good. all good so um yeah, apart from the first part of your career is there, is there any other stages where there's a potential to go home like 2007 there was some talk around contracts there might have been another period a bit later on was there any real chances yeah. that you were oh uh, i mean adelaide um in about that time um sort of came at us with an opportunity but I was a young captain by that stage and, yeah, it sort of made – I mean, you, you consider these opportunities, but I, I didn't leave. And then uh, Carlton Collingwood, there was, I mean, the year that Juddy um, left and it was the end of 07, 07. yeah. Yep. Carlton, obviously, they also came sort of to us saying, hey, would you consider it? So I think Pavlich, they had – Pavlich Judd. I think the they had two Finish. irons in the fire and then Finish. they worked out that we'll, we'll go with Juddy, not Pav. Um, <laughs> so – but um, but at that, even at that stage, I was like, look, I'm – no, I'm, I'm in here for the long haul. I was a young captain and, and was sort of ready to go. There's an opportunity, a little bit of opportunity with Collingwood uh, later in my career. And then the Gold Coast was sort of came with an opportunity that I'd monetary kind of never ever thought was possible um, when they first started. Uh, that was the end of 2010 with their first year, 2011. But, um, I mean, we were on our kind of journey with that young team. I was yeah. captain and um, money was alluring, but, uh, yeah, the opportunity wasn't. So success was a driver for you? Would that definitely? Be a- yeah, at that point. I mean, it I, sounds like through your whole career, though. You- oh yeah, but I, I, I mean, I wanted to play. I was very fortunate. I went to a <clears throat> Sacred Heart College, which always won. I went, I played an under nineteen, you know, premiership uh, with Woodvoice Torrens, and so yeah, I had a lot of success. And then got to Freo, and we actually had some really dark days in the, the first half of my career, with some you know 
finals opportunities along the way. But once I'd started at Frio, once I'd invested so much personally and once I'd become you know, captain was trying to lead that team in a new direction. Um, I was all in, and I, I wanted I wanted success as, as much as the next person, if not more. Did you play well in big games? Were you a big game player? Um, on, on reflection, I think I played poorly in some big games. I think right. I played well in a, a few big games. So, if you're talking big games, big finals, there were certainly some finals. I reckon early in my career <clears throat> that I didn't necessarily handle that well. Um, and then, you know, the two, 2006 prelim, I thought I played a really, really good game as a, as a forward. So when you kicked, you kicked eight against Geelong or something? Uh, right? No, Geelong was 2012 um, at the MCG in the elimination final. <clears throat> that was um, that was certainly one of the good games. I think I kicked four in the prelim in 2006 and had a pretty significant influence on that game. Um I think I matured. Like I reflect on my early big games um, and early finals, thinking I didn't think I handled the situation well. Mm. Um, and then I think I played in some some really good roles. And then in, in the thirteen grand final, I don't think any of us handled that situation well early in that game. You um, kicked three that day. Kicked three, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's one of those ones where you sort of reflect on and go, "Geez, I would love to have another opportunity." Is that is that a Good memory at this point. No, it's a, it's a pretty crappy memory. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everything up until um, probably the last 15, 10, 15. Well, we, we started so poorly. You know, we were a, a bunch behind at halftime. Third quarter was great. It's like, geez, we're in this game. We can actually win this. Um, uh, Luke Bruce kicks a goal early in the last quarter, which makes it a bit harder. We sort of come back. And then, you know, when you you sort of – there's about 10 minutes left and you're like, <clears throat> we have to throw everything at this to be a chance. Um, and then there's like five minutes left. And, we'll, and we still had shots of goal, blokes kicking out in the full and and making bad decisions. Um, and you lose the game by 15 points. So it was about with, you know, three or four minutes left in that game, we were like, ah, oh, you know, like – because we were chasing so hard to get ourselves back in the game and still with a legitimate shot. Um, you know, eight goals, 14 and – Whatever it was out in the full way, I don't think about it daily, but <laughs> I do think about it. <clears throat> around that sort of time, I remember there being a lot of talk around Frio being like really top heavy, and so you know yourself and some of the other stars at the time would really perform. But it was a lot of the other, like the rest of the team. Was that hard to? I mean, a lot of teams and players talk about like keeping the noise outside, but when the same people are showing up every week, but others aren't, like, is that tough to deal with, especially while you're captain? Um, I think it happened just slightly before that period. So I think there was a huge reliance on Luke McFarlane, Aaron Sandland, um, yourself, myself, and probably, you know, David Mundy, Paul Hazelby, you know, and, and maybe a few others at that point in time to play. And, and maybe the, car boys if if we didn't play well then you know we weren't going to win um what ross lyon brought was this team ethos all in you know what's what's good for one is is good for the other and a real trademark that we had to bring to life on a daily basis and the likes of michael barlow hadden ballantyne nick servin zach clark you know um, so on and so forth grew matthew DeBoer. some of our role players just grew with experience but also with more responsibility so I think in that period, we still needed our best players playing at a really, really high standard because that was the cream on the cake. But everything else had lifted to a level that allow us to, to, to compete and to play in finals year after year. So 2012, 
um, you know, semi-final against the Crows, 13 in the grand final, then a um, couple of prelims or, or semi-finals. So, and it wasn't really that the best players were playing well. It was that everyone else stepped up. Mm. Talk to us about Ross Lyon. Mentioned Ross. I yep. mean, I see in the media anyone who's played under him really, especially you know, people that come out and speak about him are pretty fond of him as a coach. Yeah, he's the best coach I had, but he he's a hard taskmaster. Like he – and he starts at the top. So if if the leaders aren't playing well or if the you know the captain's not pulling his way, he just goes a beeline to you. Um, but it was what we needed. It was and it was what I needed to to shift my leadership and to to, to keep evolving. Um, you know, he there's there's plenty of stories about him giving me great sprays at halftime, and we might get to those. But when he first came in, um, it was like no, no, we're setting new standards on on you know fitness, on game plan, and on you know, trademark, you know, living and breathing it day in and day out. So, Sorry. I was just, you gave like a very good Ross Lyon three, you know, when he talks in the media, media, sorry, he always gives like a, a something, yeah. a something, yeah. a something. Oh, <laughs> so, you know, it's not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Well, no, he does. So, but he was, and at that point in time, his game plan was, you know, the press, lock it in your front half, repeat entries, turn the ball over, and it was dour. Um, and it wasn't necessarily that attractive, but it got results. And so, um, and we just, and you know, he, he was very tactical about wingers and um, and midfield flips and various things. So he brought a whole new IP and knowledge and as well, like hard-nosed. And he was so brutal. Like somebody, he's so sarcastic and brutal, his feedback. Like he, What's up? Tell me. Uh, like, you know, you're a, you're a great person, but <laughs> basically real life all the things you shit at. Um, you know, this and sort of sarcastic. Of course you'd kick it out in the full there. Or like, you know, remember this half one at half time, he's, uh, you get the ball at half forward and you go back, you, think, you put the ball down. He's talking to Paul Dufford. You get your comb out, you're combing your hair, <laughs> taking your time. How about you get the ball inside the forward 50? You know, like, <laughs> just, just sort of these sarcastic, like, yeah. And it gives me a ripper. In his first year, we're up at the Gold Coast. Speaking of the Gold Coast, we're up at the Gold Coast playing an expansion team. We're getting done at half time. It's one of those slippery kind of um, early season games where it's shocking, humid. Shocking and, yeah. And we're getting we're getting smacked, and um, I'd hardly touched it playing as a forward. And he's he's come in, he's and I've um, stripped off because it was so wet and so so new new jumper, new shorts, got a towel. Was like you know getting ready. I think I went and saw the physio as we were in our groups, and I was getting ready for the second half. Anyway, we finally all come into the, and he's like. He's just made a he said, have a look at our captain. He looks pristine. Hasn't got a bead of sweat on him. He wouldn't bruise a grape. Like he, he's basically rolling out all there. And I'm just like, I'm gonna have to cop this one. I can't say anything. Have a look and, at that. <laughs> he looks pristine. Anyway, so we go out. Um, you know, we I, I actually play in the midfield in the second half. We sort of wrestle our way. It was a hard foot match. I think, you know, um, we got ourselves across the line, we win the game. Get into the change rooms afterwards, and it was the flattest I've ever he- heard a team song ever. Like, you know, we <laughs> right. sort of fought hard for this victory, but everyone's like, oh, free, oh, way to go. So flat that we'd won. We're on the way, um, well, you know, you get showered, and at that point in time, there was no flight back, I don't think, from the Gold Coast to Perth. So right. it was the bus up to Brizzy, right. and then the flight back. Uh, and anyway, we're all sort of, you know, 
moaning and groaning on the way to the bus and we, we get on the bus and I'm sitting by myself and Ross makes a beeline for me and sits right next to me. I'm like, oh, fuck, like, <laughs> sit next to the coach after going, this is not, this oh, is not, not good. good. That's never a good thing. Our trip to Brizzy. Anyway, he started talking about like the whole story about how he got to Frio and he's like warts and all. He's like saying how much money that he'd, you know, he, he, anyway. The whole thing. And yeah. he's given, and I, I didn't say a word. Like he basically <laughs> spoke for sixty minutes, and I'm sitting there going, "What's this is this is interesting?" But like, what's going on here? Anyway, I get off the bus. This is your life. And yeah, it was. Get off the bus, and uh, Chris Bond, the footy manager, comes over and goes, "I oh, did Ross catch it?" And I was like, "Yeah, he just been telling me his life story on the bus." <laughs> he goes, "Oh yeah, I, th- I think that's his way of apologising for the spray at half time." <laughs> Apparently Bondi had told him, oh, you realise, you know, Pab had sort of went and got the towel and sort of showered and all that kind of stuff. And Ross, oh, geez, so he's made a beeline for me and had to – but he's, he didn't say sorry. He just told me his life story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's unreal. I bloody love that. Do you think you'll do, you think you'll do a good job at St Kilda? Yeah, I think he will. Um, Difficult uh, to tell, obviously. What I, what I like about their list is they're a bit of an older list, you know, fourth or fifth older list. Sorry. I don't necessarily like that for their development and where they can go, but I like it for Ross because I think, you know, this notion that he can't rebuild a bit of a – I think it's a bit of folly. But I, what I what I do like is that he can go in and shift pretty quickly a group that has been sort of, you know, 8th, ninth, 10th, 7th, you know, and around the mark and he'll be able to straighten them up um, and, and really drive high performance because that's, that's what he does well. When you reflect back on your career, um, you know, like just, just – Doing a bit of research, but playing on you, playing against you, seeing on your field, looking at your stats, the best and fairest, six best and fairest, no, eight best and fairest. I'll me. take it. I think it was six. So <laughs> six best and fairest, six All Australians. It was top three for a decade. You're in the you're in the three fifty seven hundred goal club. Um, what you've been able to do on the field, uh, I, I think, if you're a Melbourne based player, would have you in like a realm above where you are now, which is a great. You've been inducted into the Hall of Fame, so clearly you've done a lot of things. But <laughs> do you think your time in Perth is out of the limelight? Um, I think it's certainly out of the limelight, but um, I think there's an element that I, I kind of like about that. Um, I still don't – so the, the whole notion of, oh, you know, if he was playing in Melbourne, like what, is, what does that even mean? True. <laughs> what is that? I don't, actually don't know what that means when people say, oh, if he was playing in Melbourne, he'd be – well, that's just opinion. That's just public comment. It's not. Um, it's not kind of the stuff that you're talking about, or the people that you play against, or the people that you play with, um, and how they respect you. And so, when I when I think about players that I played on that were really hard, they don't necessarily have been recognised in those things that you're talking about, or verbally. It's like, gee, he was a good player, like, and people don't recognise it. Um, like Mark Bolton, I remember at Essendon used to tag me and. Who's Mark Bolton? He was, like, he was this really athletic, strong player that I really found it hard to, to play against. Brad Scott, who is probably well, almost better known for his coaching, when I played in the midfield, he used to tag me, and I'd hardly get a, you know, hardly get a kick. So there's, but neither of those guys are in the Hall of Fame or you know, been multiple Australians, etc. So um, yeah, the respect that you have for other guys on the field because you've been out there bashing each other for two hours year after year um, is different to and things that I appeal to more rather than what someone in Melbourne thinks. I read, I read an article you wrote recently around um, you reflecting back on your career and in darkest moments, whatever you want to call it, you look back at some failures and, and yeah. um, 
is is that around the the, the, the premiership stuff that you did write about that? Not winning no, definitely. Premiership? Yeah, I mean, in my worst moments, I look at life as yes and no and binary. Mm. When there's a whole heap of grey, like my hair these days, <laughs> <laughs> like. Did I win a premiership? No. So in my bad days, I go, well, I failed. Like that, that is just how you – you know, I think that is similar to how some people think. Did I sell my business and become really successful or did I finish that uni degree? No, I bailed out and I've always done that. Or did I you know, change jobs and I have ch- chopped and changed and I've never really found my way? Like there's this feeling at times when you kind of go, well, you know what, I haven't, I haven't succeeded. Now, I can intellectualise the fact that that's all bullshit. Mm. And I can work through that, you know, the relationships and the people you meet, the great opportunities the game of AFL has afforded me and my family, all the all the goodwill and everything else. I know you can intellectualize it, but what I'm feeling in my bad times, that's just what I'm feeling, and that's okay as well. And you have to kind of be in that space. And I think it helps getting older. It certainly helps having kids and family. But um, yeah, I think there's times where you look back and go, well, my ultimate goal as an AFL player, as a captain, was to win a premiership and it's not there. So I have to deal with that. Yeah. yeah I mean, you had some really strong patches at the Freo Footy Club, right? You spoke about, uh, yeah, 06, that prelim, you know, 13, 14, 15. Is, is 13 the year that, you know, you make the grand final and you lose, but... Like, no, 15 was... was so 15 for me was harder because... So 13... Um, 2013 was sort of a great year and a bad year. We had our first child, Harper, our beautiful little daughter. So it was just like the best party of your life in the most incredible time. Yeah. Uh, and challenging, by the way. Like it's not all beer and skittles having kids. Our, our kids are shit sleepers and it's been, it's been a battle <laughs> raising Welcome. them. Welcome yeah, to exactly. Back Chat, the parents podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other yes. thing. Um, and then I was injured for a bunch of 13 with, you know, Achilles and, and, and various things. I reflect back because 15, you know, we were rock hard fit. We'd won nine in a row to start the year. We'd sort of had some fits and spurts. I got injured. A few other guys got injured. But we got ourselves to a home prelim against the Hawks. And I still remember, you know, we're right in that game again, right up until the last. And then, you know, they sort of kick away late. But lose that game. And I'd, I'd ping my calf in the last quarter. Did you? Early in the last quarter. So I was limping around. Would and, you have played the granny? Well, I'd, I don't know how I would have, to be honest. But. Wow. Um, I remember like after the game that, you know, and the guys, cause I was potentially coming back to playing or not. That's another thing. But the physio is saying, oh, geez, this would have been a challenge if we had won. Like what would we have done? And, and there could have been, yeah. I, cause you can't really fix a torn calf, right? No, <laughs> so absolutely Can't not. jab it. You can't. No. Anyway, I've, that's another – so it's a hypothetical. It's actually good to know because I was watching that game because you played on Friday night. Yep. You guys we, we north on Saturday, the Saturday, yeah. And, north? You know, yeah, north, yeah. yeah. And I was watching the game – I was going for you guys because Hawthorne, um, you know, they they were going for three in a row. Um, not not that uh, you you know they were a better side than you, but they were going to be playing at home. The MCG, if yeah. we we're going to win, and in my head we we're going to win. I wanted to play Freo because I thought we had a better chance of beating Freo. The, the Freo players that we've spoken to, pro- probably similar, right? Yeah. Like you probably thought you had a better chance of beating a West Coast than yep. a North Melbourne or yep. or Hawthorne at the MCG, right? Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, Hawthorne at the MCG is. I mean, a pretty hard. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah, it's not great. Um, but West Coast at the, the MCG, a much different proposition. O- opens slather up, but it's interesting to hear about your calf because yeah. So ping my calf, limping around, you know, dealing with this. Geez, we're still in this game and wanting right. to win it, but then like, shit, can I play in it? Like, you know, you're dealing with that as you're playing, and kind of had to push that out for that moment. Anyway, I lose the game, and I 
at that point in time, I remember driving out that night of, of my driveway thinking, is this the last day for a game I'm going to ever play? Because wow. I was like sort of – I was 33 or whatever it was and body had started to pack up a bit. And mentally I was like, well, if we get through and, you know, this is probably – but drove out that night thinking this might be it. And so I remember walking back out like after everyone had gone and just wanting to spend a little bit of time out on the ground just in case this was it. Um. And I just walked out, I was sort of, you know, not far into the ground. And then um, my family came out and I just started crying. Like I was, and it was sort of a moment of, oh, is but I, if I reflect, I reflect back and think now, I know that opportunity for that group was gone that night. Mm. I knew there was no coming back. You know, there was going to be guys retiring. There was going to be transition to the list. And and that kind of period was over. So it was a, it was an outpouring of emotion for, oh God, we've missed our chance lost 13, lost tonight, we're done. Um, and it's funny how you kind of just know things like that and yeah. I'm sure everyone's got that in their life but it was certainly a memory for me. Did anyone What's... capture that on camera? Like did anyone? No. It's like because the memories I have after games at Subi Oval are ones when I've been first emergency or red vested or something like that and you and you do the laps out and there's always a bit of, couple of scragglers. Yeah, there's a couple of boys in the box still remaining having some beers. So It was quite like and I think – I think someone had maybe taken a still, like, you know, and was sort of rumouring about it, but there was no – it might have been earlier that night, there's footage of Luke McFarlane and his wife walking around because he knew he was retiring. Right. And he's, like, bawling his eyes out and, like, this is – Before not the game? After. Oh. After. <laughs> no, 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 after the game. Okay. Like, no one else in the stand. So they got footage of that. Right. So this is how late it was in the piece that, right. you know, I, I must have – I can't even remember what, you know, last game of the year, you're kind of doing your stuff – uh, in in the change rooms, and I yeah walked out and had a bit of just a moment, and um, and yeah, it sort of broke down. Seven would have had a field day with with footage oh, of yeah, that absolutely. at the time. Did, was there any part of you bigger than Nick Nat? What's in the box? Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, was there any part of you uh, that was sort of glad that Freo didn't get to that grand final that year without having to feel like, well, I'm glad that I didn't miss out on that opportunity then. Uh, no, so I went to Melbourne. I think – why did I go to Melbourne? I think because we'd committed to some stuff like in around the week um, and being there, I was like, I, I just don't want to be here. Like, you know, you guys were in it, Hawks were in it, about to win their third. I was just like, just get me as far away from Melbourne as possible <laughs> because, you know, in my mind as well, I was like, well, you know, this could be this could be it as, as well. I don't, you know, I'm limping around with a punk calf. I can hardly move. <laughs> Got two, we've got two young kids who aren't sleeping. Like, this is not a good experience away from home. Um, so, but I mean, no, I would have much rather us, would have much rather us be in that game and, you know, potentially try, I mean, having to make that decision of with a with a bunk half, I don't, I don't think I would have got up probably, but yeah, I don't know. Do you remember your last game, 353? I do, yeah. Went into it on 699 goals. Yeah. Uh, forwards, I know enough of them, so you, you would have been – Oh no! It's not about the goals. Not about the milestone. You would have wanted. You wouldn't have wanted to finish the career on six nine nine. Put it that no, way. No, definitely. I was lucky to get one earlier. Joe the Goose over the top into the goal square. You were screaming um, down the field. As oh well. yeah! No I come off were... the bench. Like it was one of those perfect, similar to the Aaron Sandler and spoil Lockie Neal, Stephen Hill yeah, yes. change at the in Geelong where he you know, <clears throat> kicked this into a prelim. Um, I'd come off and the ball had sort of transitioned on the other side of the ground. It might have been in from a kicking or something and it was just like over the top, over the top, just link, link, link. And so all I had to do was run from the wing to the goal square 
and kick the goal. That's lit- and scream as loud as I could to get the ball. And so I was fortunate enough to to do that early in the game and get it out the way. Um, but I, I didn't. I, I think that was the only time I spent time on the bench that game. And I like later in the later in the game, I had three or four shots to goal, miss, miss, miss. So I'm glad I got it out the way early. Um, it was no JK kicking eight straight or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> what about that? Oh. Um, but I'm glad. Uh, and like that experience. So and you know. There's not often – so, you know, end of 15, make the decision to play again. A challenging year on the field, but we win that last game against the Bulldogs who go on to win. Yes, yeah, so you lit a fire in them actually and they came back and beat us they in the did. next week. They <laughs> did, yeah. yeah. Perfect. I'm glad that could be the case. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, but, like, doing the lap and going out in your own terms and seeing, like, grown men and women, like, crying and hugging in the stands, it was um, – it was really – almost uncomfortable that you're like there's 30 40,000 people there saying goodbye to you and yeah it was a really strange but beautiful moment um and I'm yeah it'll, it will forever be sort of imprinted and to experience that with the family and friends and get everyone across it was a, a great way to, to exit the game it's like when when it's your birthday and everyone's singing happy birthday to you it's like it's awkward imagine like <laughs> yeah. 35,000 people just like for you it's like it's strange. But look, if you get the opportunity, it's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll Damn, still day. time for you, mate. One day, one day I'll do it. Like, you got... know, five for 16. Yeah, that's correct. We've come to the end of hearing questions from you and I, but uh, sorry, Dan and I, but just got a few more questions from our audience. Oh, yep. Not social media, social media. That's right. I I know, yeah, I thought you might. Um, it's a world-renowned podcast segment. Actually, it's been running for a long period of time. The people ask you the questions. Are you ready? Social media, Frio underscore hub. Uh, how did you become so loyal to Fremantle despite the first few years being rough? Additional question, what drove your passion to change the culture at the Dockers? Yeah, so I, I guess I've touched on this yeah. in some ways, but um, what drove me to stay was that every year I had more responsibility. Every year I had more I personally invested into the group, into the team and to Perth. Um, I became so much more, you know, one with the club and I've said I said this as I retired but I felt as though me as a 17 year old and the footy club as a five-year-old club we sort of grew up together um and had a similar trajectory in that we had lots of tough times but also some pretty good times um and by the time we you know we we both parted ways um you know we were we were much better for for that relationship so <laughs> actually i've said to someone recently it's like i broke you know six years ago i broke up with a long-term girlfriend <laughs> we're just having some time apart like we still love each other but <laughs> both grown we've both grown as, as people <laughs> and better for the experience so um changing the culture yeah so yeah I, I think this sort of goes hand in hand also with me as a young captain you know when you i was 24 25 i was a t- not a great captain when you're first that young. You kind of just you're a good player and you you want to lead and you're doing the right things, but you've got so much to learn. And I guess as my learning and understanding of leadership and captaincy grew, um, so too did our culture and so too did the changing dynamic of our group. And again, I, I reflect on the guys that we drafted in 2008, 2009. Stephen Hill, you know, all those guys are listed before Ballantyne, Barlow, um, Silvani, Mazungu, Deboer. They were just this rock uh, who were hard workers, great people, had enough skill to play footy um, and who really drove the bus. And I was able to kind of – well, we and I, I say we, like Aaron Sanderlands, Dave Mundy, Luke McFarlane, we were able to always take our hands off and let them run the show. So, um, yeah, a bit of maturing on my end but also empowering those guys to grow. It's Wharfie time. It's Wharfie time. 
What, 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 Watch that this morning, actually. Were you inspired? That highlight. By, yeah. Um, so Warfield was our trademark at the time. And um, I the actual the thing of Warfield time, I don't know, that just sort of came out <laughs> at the time. It wasn't anything. Because it was a pre-game pre- speech. Is that what yeah, it was? The, the, the previous Gets week, hooks. Shawnee Mack had talked about, guys, you know, when you put the jumper on, it's like putting your man cave on. You, you can do anything. You run through a brick wall. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't mind that. Like that. So, you know, we'd put on our Superman capes and we were going to – Get out there and do warf- warfy time um, and play our travel. Now the way, like the way I was thinking in my head and the way it was delivered, <laughs> so different. <laughs> but I haven't seen it. I, 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 I've still got it as a tab up. We're not, if you want to, we can watch no, it. No, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> did you deliver it poorly? Did you? No, I think I just uh, the the line was um, put your Superman capes on. It's warfy time. <laughs> it's warfy time, but but the thing is, which if, I think's uh, become this thing, right? If you just said it in the group, right, and ev- and that was it, like, no, 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 come on, it. let's go. Yeah, then it'd be fine. But it's fact it was on a microphone and everyone's heard it. it just makes it so. It, so it's one of those things. So I knew I was mic'd up, obviously. Um, and in my own head, I was going to say something along those lines because that was sort of the theme of the week. Yeah, you yes. know, live the trademark, play the trademark. Um, and put your capes on, bulletproof, let's go and get them. Um, it's Wolfie time. The way I thought about it, the way I delivered it, much different. <laughs> and look, you know, sometimes that happens when you've got a microphone in front of you. <laughs> That's unreal. Oh, very good. Now, uh, triple underscore Pat.Smith. Southern picks- Riverbend. This is, oh, this, right. this is Patty. Who picks your suits when you're boundary riding match day? Uh, so this, there's two questions to this because the only – so Channel 9, the suits and the ties are chosen – for right. you, right? No, because it's matched into the everyone's sort of wardrobe. Okay. Yes. Now, whether what Sherry's wearing or what Tracy's wearing, they have or like a, they have a wardrobe room, though. Yeah, just a yeah, you know, it's one of those bifold kind of things, and um, so there's That's matching. Nice. It's, it's really it's a strategic and, and well thought out mm. process. Um, in terms of what I wear on Fox, I just basically go to the wardrobe and pick whatever's in the in the closet. So yeah, bring your own suit, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Uh, so I think is it. MJ Bale with uh, giving them a shout out for Channel Nine and, and Men's Club look after us with Fox Footy. Okay, so. well, if Men's Club want to extend uh, that offer, perhaps to another boundary. Oh, you've missed out. On I that. don't have any suits. Um, <laughs> any any suits provided? So anyone's listening along that wants to jump on board the back chat Fox Footy train, we've got Pav up in. You've, we've, we've not I, but like we've got you up into the. You're out of the cold weather down the boundary yeah. when I work with you now. Well, Pav. that's where I started, and then COVID hit, and it forced me because they're all over in the hub in Melbourne. It yeah. forced me downstairs. So I'm glad to have you back, Scoey, because yes. it gets me back. Tab's <laughs> always very happy to say that. When I'm watching the footy, that's the first thing I hear you whinge about is that Pav's so warm cold. and you're cold. Absolutely, Pav, <laughs> mate. I'll go up there. I've got the party pies not out yet. I've got to go downstairs and get like half a warm coffee halfway through the game. I was pissing down with the rain the last derby, mud all over my suit. Oh, it was, wasn't it? That yeah, was brutal. That was that right in front. I mean, he copped it, it in the face. All right, let's get going. Hard let's work get down going. there, sorry. Um, uh, yeah, all right, Mitch.S.Rogers. How, how close do you believe Flag Mantle is? I don't know if you mentioned it. Uh, what is Flag Mantle? I didn't hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how close are Fremantle to a premiership? Uh, um, so th- if you think about – I think they're much closer than um, anyone thought 12 months ago, obviously. I still think they're a bit further away than most – uh, for our supporters and people hope they can do it next year. Um, I just think their their younger players and they've got a lot of them are still exactly that, really quite young. The third youngest list going into this season, twenty twenty two. So that means their window is is open for a while. Can they do it next year? Um, don't know. 
that you'd want to get you know 15 20 games out of Nathan Fife. Uh, you'd want to make sure that like they have this year Alex Pierce, Sean Darcy um and um, some of their midfield right, their midfield yeah. groups Sarong, Brayshaw, etc uninjured. Um, I think if they lose one or two it can get a bit tricky just cuz they they've got they've got depth but they're just so young. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch what what Luke Jackson, uh, Jago Amira, etc do do to the team but I they're in the window. Is it is it next year? Don't know. Very good. Um, we'll rapid fire a few of these. Nick Hanlon. Uh, was there any serious offers or talk about moving to West Coast? Never, no. Yeah. Okay, very good. Um, Milos <laughs> underscore Nilicic. Uh, Pav, what do you reckon about chocolate on a pavlova, a sacrilege or a welcome <laughs> addition to an otherwise stale Aussie icon that needs a bit of a revival? Is that uh, metaphorical? Oh, about, I think about so. Me? I think yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I think they're basically saying you should dye your hair. <laughs> <laughs> What's this one about? Andy Pat Cullen. I don't know what this is about. Uh, is Pav still dirty on Mike Sheehan for wheeling him out onto the MCG for open mic and referencing the losing granny in the opening sequence? Yeah, what did so, you do an open mic in the middle of the MCG? Or no, um, it was. You know, every open mic I've ever seen has had the warm fire, the leather chairs yeah. in the studio. So, For some reason, when they said it was, yeah, it was rubbing salt into the wound. Well, let's go to the MCG and we'll talk about how cathartic this will be for you. And it's like, <laughs> this is brutal. This is not cathartic. That's rough. <laughs> it's a horror um, show. Yeah. Um, yes, I am not happy with that. Okay. Perfect. Thank you, Mark. Um, Actually, I blame the producer, Tommy. Tommy, who is a good guy. I'm gonna. I'm coming after you. Yes. Thank you, Tom. Um, uh, da, 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 sorry, uh, where's that one that was very good that we both liked? Uh, 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 cl- uh, Cloudy91. Uh, who would win the contest between All-Australian full forward Pav and All-Australian full back Pav? <laughs> <laughs> That's a clever question. Yeah, um, I'm going to say All-Australian full forward Pav because he was maybe a bit more older and mature. Right. It's it's people don't you you when you played fullback you weren't a Dower Will Schofield Scragger you were you're a McGovern intercepting yeah runoff type yeah that was there. yeah that um that was the aim to be and which was tricky when you're playing on the, when you're playing on the best forwards um to one defend but then you know trying to turn the ball over and, and rebound so um yeah I think uh, the the Pav all Australian full forward might have got a couple of snags on very good Lego man underscore with underscore underscore uh, hey Pav how do you like your eggs <laughs> um probably scrambled all right any reason like taste yeah yeah no particular reason but okay. I'd go s- scrambled okay okay very good that's, uh, fine. that's and, an okay answer yeah uh, last one uh, Scott Scott Dale uh, did you ever think about coaching or have aspirations to get into footy admin? Certainly not coaching. I, I look at the assistant coaches and that's the pathway. You can't just become a senior coach. Like To do the uh, um, apprenticeship, you have to be a senior. And they look at how much footage you look at and how much coding you have to do. And like it, It's a lot about data and data capture and watching vision as compared to doing this, sitting around chatting and relationships and trying to – and out in the field. So – no, I didn't want to become a coach. <clears throat> Admin's interesting. I think that would be something that um, I'm still p- perhaps interested in down the track. Um, but yeah, enjoying what I'm doing right now. We we at all linked to coaching at Adelaide at some point in the last few years. I swear I saw an article. Uh, yeah, so uh, Coaching review. I've done a few of the uh, reviews. Right. Uh, right? Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm not sure how many more I'll do, but yeah. Um, but you get a real insight into 
uh, a footy club, how it's running and where the good and, good and the bad lie. I'll have the last question. How, how did you find the transition out of football and into what you're doing now, business aspirations and ventures you've got going as well? How, how was that for someone in my eyes that's been quite successful in that tr transition? Did you find it difficult? Was it easy? Yeah, I mean, so it was easy and difficult, if I can answer it that way. Easy in the sense that um, I'd been, I was fortunate enough to sort of go to university, get a couple of degrees and then become involved and invested in a couple of businesses which I – um, had a kind of day job to go to. So I was kind of going to be okay, if that makes sense. Now, the media opportunity I always enjoyed and wanted to explore that. And so the thing at Fox came up pretty quickly and then the nine thing has probably evolved. Um, so it's easy in that way. But then I'll say it's hard because your whole life changes. It's not about you anymore. Um, and when I say that, A for footy or an, an elite athlete is quite selfish and you wake up and you have your food and you go to training and you, like, it's just all based around you. Now that changes when you have family and everything, but you know, primarily it's, it is about getting the best out of you because without you, there's this kind of no livelihood. So, um, and it's, and your routine changes so significantly that you have to find a new balance and, and a new, and so for me it was like, well, I played footy and then I had other aspirations uh, with you know um, business or or study or whatever, and all of a sudden I lost that. So what was my other thing? So yeah, um, easy in in some ways, but I think everyone that transitions, even how successfully they transition or how successful their career has been, they'll say there's lots of challenges. What was your experience? It was difficult. Yeah, um, uh, probably similar. Like I was in business, had media, so it was easy in terms of I, I have things to do, but it just. Uh, your, your entire life changes and and uh, yeah uh, again probably time for another podcast but yeah I don't know whose responsibility it is it's probably everyone's in terms of the AFL AFLPA um, the player themselves manager the clubs like mm. whose responsibility is it to make sure that players can transition because you know my view on it is you, you're an elite sportsman you, you're trying to be the best in the country at something you need to apply yourself to that yes work outside's good yeah. study work experience all of that but you won't last very long if you don't apply yourself properly to footy. So you're in that and then it finishes. It's like done. Mm. So how, how do you, you know, speaking to you, it sounds like you've done, I studied, I, I did have opportunities, but some guys don't either. So I don't know what the answer for that is, but I, I found it difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, lifting the draft age, going back to that, I think actually helps because guys are forced to go and get an apprenticeship, go and get a, a degree or whatever. Um, and then go into their career. Now, that's a whole other, as you said, another story. But put it this way, it's not easy. Um, people do it well. Other people find it really hard. And everyone's sort of on that continuum somewhere. But um, but anyone that says it's easy is lying. There you go. Liars. Uh, mate, thanks so much <laughs> for your time. Really appreciate it. You've uh, you've gone above and beyond. It's been very good. Good on you guys. Thanks. Pleasure. Thank good, you. Good man. Matty Pavlich, done and dusted. Backchat double underscore on socials. Backchatpodcast.com.au. Thanks to our supporters. Whippersnapper. Margaret River Roasting, Blue Bet, Shelter, Leadable Cameras, Pavs off to uh, bowl a couple of leg spinners and get his 5 for 16 <laughs> down at the park. Uh, we'll see you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.